Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. What's one thing that you'd be doing differently in your life or your work if you weren't feeling held back by self-doubt? If you weren't listening to that voice in your head that says, that's not for you, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? No one will know what you're talking about. That's the voice of your inner critic. And today we're going to be talking about how we quiet it, how we change so that it doesn't hold us back in our lives or our work any longer. I'm Tara Moore, and I'm the author of the book, Playing Big, Practical Wisdom for Women Who Want to Speak Up, Create, and Lead. And my work is all about helping us share our voices more fully in the world, have the playing big that we each long to have, whether for you that's starting a new business or making a job transition or becoming more visible in your field. Or maybe it's speaking up more in your life or reclaiming a creative pursuit that you left behind long ago. We each have a self-defined, unique playing big. And one of the biggest things that holds us back from going for that is that voice of self-doubt. I'll give you an example. Just this week, a woman in my workshop was sharing about an email she was trying to write. She's in a job transition, and she wanted to reach out to a few people in her field who she really admires, whom she thought could give her a sense of some exciting opportunities or maybe help her find her next thing. She sat down to write that email, and after a few minutes, she found herself deleting and editing and editing again and ruminating over each phrase and hearing a pretty cruel voice in her head that was saying, this sounds stupid. This person won't even remember who you are. Or if they do write back to you and they are willing to have a conversation, 
it's going to be obvious that you don't really know what you want to do in this field and you're not really ready to talk to them. They're going to see it as a waste of their time. That email never got sent and the others like it that she wanted to write also never got sent. That's the kind of thing that happens when we're listening to our inner critic. I want to share with you the thoughts, the inner critic thoughts that a group of women shared with me in one of my classes recently, when I asked them, what does the inner critic say to you? And I'm taking here from a sampling. Each of these is from a different person in the group. Maybe some of these thoughts will sound familiar to you. You're too sensitive, toughen up. You're not creative or an innovator. You don't have vision. You're tolerated, but you're not welcome. You'll never figure this out. You're not prepared enough. Nothing you have to say is original or unique. You're a wimp. You don't follow through on things, so why start? You don't know what you're talking about. You shouldn't take risks. You're weak. You can't do that. It's selfish and self-indulgent. You'll regret that you were so foolish and presumptuous as to try this. The nerve. If you do that, everyone will see how incompetent you are and you'll never be able to recover. Who are you to be enjoying this? Pay attention. You're going to hurt someone with all that showing off. Give other people a chance. They're going to hate you for this. Stop bragging. You're shy and awkward. You can't think strategically. Stay in your lane. You can't be a good mom and a leader all at once. So when we hear that, it can feel really sad. Of course, it can feel shocking to know that the brilliant, loving, caring, conscientious individuals, you know, in your life are walking around hearing thoughts like that in their heads, but it may also make you feel a little less alone. And it may be a kind of wake up moment. Like, wait, if everyone's hearing that, and if I know those thoughts probably aren't true for the wonderful people I know, and I work with, and I adore in my life, maybe the thoughts that I hear in my head, aren't the voice of truth either. The inner critic is definitely not the voice of truth, but to really get that and to know how to not listen to that voice. I think most of us need a kind of inner critic 101 training. And sometimes I laugh when I think back, like in high school, I know I got a little bit of a lesson on how to balance a checkbook. I think I learned how to clean an infected wound. Like there was an attempt to give us some life skills somewhere along the way, but not the inner life skills. And I think all of us need that inner critic training. We should probably get it around age 10 before that adolescent vicious inner critic starts to kick in, but we don't get it. And the good news story that I have for you today is I can say after training thousands of people in this work, people in their eighties, people in their twenties, teenagers, people in creative fields in business fields, people in academia, so many walks of life. I can say that a little bit of education and just starting to get some vocabulary to talk about this voice of self-doubt, as well as some practical tools to deal with it makes a huge, huge difference can really change the amount of impact that voice has in our lives. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about four things. One, we're going to 
define what this inner critic voice is. Why do we have it? Where does it come from? So we really understand it. It doesn't need to be a mystery to us. Number two, we're going to talk about why the answer to this problem is not about developing confidence. I know it's not what we've been told. We've been told if the problem is self-doubt, logically, obviously the answer would be confidence, but it turns out my experience, that's not at all the case. We'll talk about why that is and what the answer really is instead. We'll also talk about the most common mistakes that people make and how they deal with their self-doubt, how they respond to it. And then last, we'll talk about in really practical ways what to do when those self-doubting or self-critical thoughts are arising. What can you do in the moment to quiet it, to move past it? so that it doesn't hold you back, so that it doesn't mean that the business doesn't get started for another year or the emails don't get sent or the idea doesn't get shared so that it doesn't direct our actions. So that is what we'll be up to today. So what is the inner critic? What is this voice? So I'll tell you when I first started my coaching practice, And I was sitting across from these brilliant clients who had so many wonderful ideas and were clearly so hard workers and had so much to bring. And yet I was hearing this really vicious voice of self-doubt. Who do you, I think I am. I can't do that. I don't think I could ever lead or succeed in the way that I would actually love to. When I was hearing all of that, I thought, gosh, what happened to them in their early childhoods or lives that led to this crisis of confidence? I thought the answer must be in our individual stories, maybe in our early childhood experience. I had grown up with in a family where the the idea was like your, your psychology is determined by your early childhood and anything that went wrong, we, we should look back into our early childhood experience and find the cause. So with those first coaching clients, I really went looking there, like what were, what was the early childhood messages they got about themselves, but there was a problem. Some of those clients had had wonderfully positive parents who gave them so much encouragement and support and praise. Some of them had had very critical parents. Some of them had done really well in school and sort of had a lot of good evidence to feel confident in their abilities. And some of them had really struggled in school. So the experiences were quite different. And yet as adults and particularly as adult professional women, they were all ending up with an inner critic voice that sounded so similar. And so it became clear to me, we had to look somewhere else than their childhood experience for the cause. The second thing I noticed with those clients is that that inner critic would come up most strongly when they were considering some kind of stretch or risk or stepping forward in their work or in their lives. And that usually when it came up, there was something about the step they were taking or considering taking that felt scary, that felt vulnerable to them. And so over time, after hearing so many close up case studies and examples and working with people to see what really made a difference, the definition of the inner critic that I came to is this, 
the inner critic, that voice of self-doubt is a strategy that your safety instinct is using to keep you in your comfort zone. So the inner critic is a strategy that your safety instinct uses to keep you in your comfort zone. And let's unpack that a little bit. So our safety instinct is a very old part of our, of our, of our human physiology, part of us that is rooted in our reptilian brain, the oldest part of the human brain from an evolutionary perspective. And it's the responsibility of that safety instinct to make sure that we stay safe and therefore survive. So the safety instinct is always scanning the environment for a danger or a threat. And it has one goal, which is to make sure that we avoid the dangers or overcome the threats. And it will really do whatever it needs to do to make sure that happens. One of the problems in our modern lives is that that safety instinct, which was really designed to help protect us from physical threats like predators or poisons, that same safety instinct fires, goes off in the face of an emotional threat. It doesn't know how to distinguish. So when we encounter a fear of rejection or embarrassment or a situation that might bring a sense of failure or standing out from the crowd or a risk of that, the safety instinct says, oh, 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 nope, we got to avoid that at all costs. And the safety instinct is like, it's, it's a little like if you've ever worked in a corporate environment or an organization where there were separate departments that should talk to each other and be coordinated, but they're not, they're way too separate and siloed. In the self, it can be a little like that, where the safety instinct is only focused on the metric of, did I survive? Did I stay safe? And the safety instinct is not coordinating with or talking to the part of you that wants to be fulfilled and grow and change in your life. And so when something happens, like you want to speak up in a meeting, or you want to go reach out to someone you think would be a fabulous new friend, but it feels a little vulnerable to show that you're interested in being their friend or you want to start a a new organization that is going to put you in a leadership role and feel scary because you don't know if you can do it. The safety instinct says, absolutely not. And it has no connection or responsibility to the part of you that wants fulfillment and self-expression and joy and impact in your life. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless high quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high-quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the U.S. 
To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Okay, so how is the safety instinct going to keep you entirely in the comfort zone? Well, if it just says, hi, I'm your safety instinct, I think we should stay on the couch watching Netflix and having our potato chips forever because that will feel safe and cozy and nothing is likely to attack us while we're on that couch. If it said that, that transparently, you would be like, well, no, I kind of want a bigger range of life experiences than that. So your safety instinct puts on a disguise. And instead of being that transparent, it says, that's risky. They're going to laugh at you. You're not qualified for that. Who do you think you are? And those kinds of thoughts are mean and devastating enough that they do cause us to retreat back into our comfort zone. So the safety instinct gets what it wants. That is the, the universal kind of level of what inner critic is. It's, it's our safety instinct using the disguise the thoughts, the costume of these thoughts of self-doubt to get us to retreat back in our comfort zone. The specific things that are scary to us that spark our safety instinct might vary based on who you are and your identity. So if you're a woman, things that have you holding power, being visible, our safety instinct knows that's dangerous. There may be things that particularly in your cultural group, in your country, in your religious community have been, you've learned are unlovable or come at great risk of saying, of expressing, and that will affect where and how your inner critic speaks up. Okay. So if that's what the inner critic is, right? If it's an expression of that safety instinct, a strategy, a tool that the safety instinct is using to get us to again and again, retreat back into that comfort zone, then here's the thing that is not going anywhere. We cannot surgically remove the safety instinct. We cannot make it be quiet for the rest of our lives. It's going to do what it's going to do. And so our work is not about getting rid of self-doubt, but about becoming wise in how we respond to that voice. You know, I have not met a woman or a man who doesn't, or a person of any gender who does not have a voice of self-doubt. And I often think that I will meet that person. I still sometimes get confused about that. So I'll be asked, you know, can you come in and give this workshop to a group of partners at law firms? And I'll think they're, they're my own inner critic will start talking and think they're, they're way past self-doubt. They're not going to need this. Or can you go present to executive leadership of, of a finance company? Well, they're, they're surely past self-doubt. And I will tell you everywhere I go, I find this very strong self-doubting and self-critical voice. There was a study that was done by KPMG that looked at women in corporate roles in America. And they asked these women, how confident do you feel? And they found that entry-level women 
women in entry, what were considered entry-level corporate jobs, about 45% of them said that they felt confident at work. And then they asked women at the top of that corporate ladder, women in executive roles who had succeeded in this highly competitive up or out environment, women who were holding significant leadership positions, people we'd think, right, would have good evidence that would help them feel confident and had lots of reason to feel confident. And they found that the levels of confidence were almost the same as they were for entry-level women. There was just about a 10% difference, which is to say for the vast majority, for 90% of individuals, that confidence level isn't likely to change despite any success or moving up the ladder. And that resonates anecdotally with my experience for sure, that when I talk to people who are very successful in their fields, the only thing that's changed is what they feel self-doubt about, not how much they feel. So maybe before they felt self-doubt, just even managing a team at all, that might've changed after 30 years, but now they feel the same vicious self-critical voice when they are asked to join a corporate board, let's say. So we cannot afford to wait on confidence. And that is one of the biggest messages I hope you walk away with today. If you are thinking, just wait, because when I get a little more experience, I will be confident enough to do X, you're most likely wrong. And I don't want you to wait for that elusive confidence to go for your, your dream, your longing, what you want to create. The truth is when we're creating what we really want to, when we're actually sharing our voices and gifts in the world, that is going to feel very vulnerable and the voice of self-doubt is going to come up. So we need to know how to deal with it. Okay. So let's talk about some of the common mistakes in how people typically deal with self-doubt and what tends to get us into trouble. So sometimes what we do is assume that if we're hearing a lot of self-doubt, that means we're on the wrong track. Like there's an idea floating out there when you're on your right path in your life, it'll feel right. That I think is a big mistaken assumption. Yeah. When we're on our right path, if you are, you know, meant to do music and it's your calling and you're doing music, there will certainly be times when you have that feeling of rightness and flow, but the inner critic speaking up can also mean that you're doing something that feels vulnerable to you. You're actually very much on your right path and that's why it feels so scary. And that's why there's so much self-doubt there. So mistake number one, we don't want to think that if we're hearing self-doubt, it means we're not on our right path. Mistake number two is thinking that that voice of self-doubt is in some way our best ally. This is a common one for a lot of us because we look back and we think, well, it's that voice that was telling me I'm never good enough and I need, I'm not prepared enough. That's the voice that helped me stay up all night, making the, the term paper better. That's the voice that helps me be the most prepared in the room. That's the voice that makes sure my work is excellent. And so we can feel like, Hey, the inner critic is really an ally for me. And I'm not sure I want tools to stop listening to it. That's what helps fuel my good performance. Well, I want to ask you to consider a few things about that. The first one is what's your quality of life like if that is your motivator? If that kind of 
self-critical thoughts, those mean thoughts to yourself, if feeling like you're not enough is what's motivating you at work, how does work feel day to day? And might there be a more enjoyable way to be motivated? Two, I want you to consider your health because if those are the kinds of thoughts that are motivating you, you have stress hormones flowing through your body a lot of the time. And that really takes a toll on your physical health. We are meant to have short bursts, flashes of those stress hormones to help us deal with stressful things, but not to lean on them ongoingly as a way of getting our work done. And then third, and maybe for me, this is where, what my heart is closest to is that I know, especially for women and any of us from identities that have been marginalized are underrepresented in positions of power. When we are being run by the inner critic in our work, we end up, yep, we dot those I's really perfectly because we're scared not to. We cross those T's really well. We proofread everything. We are looking to avoid mistakes. We may be super prepared, even overprepared, but the inner critic will never motivate us to share our real point of view in a meeting or make time to take that senior leader to lunch who we really want to get to know better and whom we want to be aware of our work. In other words, the inner critic can motivate us to be a really good worker bee, but it's never going to motivate us to be a game changer. And so even if you can look back in your life and say, Hey, I see how the inner critic motivated some of my great performance looking forward. Is that really going to get you where you want to go? Or do you need a different set of options that are more about really sharing your voice and your unique gifts more in your work? Lastly, the last mistake that many of us make with the inner critic is we argue back with that voice. And some of us even think, okay, now I'm getting empowered. Now I'm getting smart about that voice. You know, I know when it says I'm not smart enough, I'm going to find a way to say I am smart enough, kind of like that affirmations kind of principle. And what I'll say about this is if you find that works for you in moments here and there, you know, use it when it works. Sure. But for most of us, it really isn't very effective. And let me tell you a quick story to explain why. When I first started coaching people around the inner critic, I thought, yeah, we just need to basically argue back with these thoughts and disprove them. So I had a client who really wanted to start a business. She was in her fifties and was very excited about taking this unique entrepreneurial path and um, bringing something into the world that she felt super passionate about in the, in the arena of uh, visual art. And she kept hearing this thought, I'm too old. I'm too old. If it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Nobody wants to work with someone, my age, like a bunch of thoughts related to her age. So I thought, oh, we obviously, we just need to disprove this limiting belief. And so she had some homework from our coaching session to go find 10 awesome women entrepreneurs who started their businesses after they were 50. And she came back the next week and she said, Tara, it was amazing. I found them. Oh my God, they're everywhere. Once I started looking for them, I, I saw them everywhere and wow, this really can happen. That great. Okay. We solved the problem. But the next week she came back 
And she said, oh, new problem. I'm totally unqualified. Well, I thought now we have to disprove that thought. So we went over her qualifications and we really rigorously looked at, did she need more? And we looked at other examples and we disproved that pretty well too. Well, the next week she came back and she said, you know, my motivation, my interest in this just kind of deflated. It just popped. I don't know. I think, I think it really wouldn't be the right fit for me anyway. So what I came to see from that experience and others is that actually our inner critic is like, it's like a popcorn machine popping off different objections and it doesn't really matter what they are. The inner critic doesn't care. It doesn't pay too much attention to the specifics because again, the point isn't truth. The point is just to say anything that will keep us in our comfort zone. And so you can spend a lot of time disproving one of your inner critics thoughts, and it'll just come back with a new one. You know, those people in your life that if you're arguing with them, like if you get sucked into the argument, you've already lost, you didn't want to be in the argument to begin with. And you don't like the way they argue. And you know, those arguments never go anywhere. The inner critic is like that. So we don't want to get in there and debate each individual thought that it's having. That's not the way we actually want to sidestep and turn away from in ways that we're going to illuminate as we talk about some of the tools. So now let's get into some specific tools. What are the things you can do in the moment when this voice of self-doubt comes up for you? So we're going to talk about four practical tools that you can use when a self-doubting or self-critical thought is arising. And you can choose from these. You'll discover which ones work best for you, which ones work best, and which kinds of situations. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. CarbonX is an environmental company that aims to empower people to make a positive impact on the planet. They've created a simple platform to help you make up for your carbon emissions by supporting climate-friendly projects. You can earn shareable badges based on how long you've been offsetting, and your subscription will go towards supporting new initiatives and carbon offsetting projects that have been independently verified to have removed CO2 from the atmosphere. You can choose a project that is meaningful to you, such as planting trees in deforested regions of the Amazon and investing in energy-efficient and renewable resources around the world. For the Goop podcast team, CarbonX wanted to cover our team's carbon footprint. They donated a subscription for us to support an energy-efficient cook stoves program in Uganda. To learn more about CarbonX, head to their website at carbonx.com. That's carbon with a K-X.com or download the CarbonX app. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. The first one is simply noticing when your inner critic is speaking up and when you notice naming it, labeling it as that. So you're going for a job interview, let's say, and you are starting to notice thoughts of, I shouldn't have applied for this job anyway. This obviously isn't going to go well. This is way beyond the scope of what I'm prepared and qualified for. And probably at first, you will not recognize that this is your inner critic. You'll just be in the thoughts and it'll sound like a voice of truth. But at some point, especially as you practice this skill, you will recognize, wait, there it goes. I'm hearing from my inner critic. And then you can simply say, oh, wow, my inner critic is really speaking up loudly about this job interview. 
when we do that, we're doing a few things. One, we can then remind ourselves of everything we know about the inner critic. Like it's not the voice of truth. Like it's safety instinct. We're distancing ourselves from it a bit. We're becoming an observer of it rather than being completely inside of it. And we're separating the I from the inner critic. So there's a huge difference, right? Between saying, I'm feeling not confident at all going into this job interview. That's taking it on as your full self versus, oh, wow, my inner critic is getting really loud right now. Or I'm really hearing that inner critic voice come up around this. That's separating the I from the inner critic. And that's so important because even though at the beginning of doing this work for a lot of people, it doesn't feel like it for a lot of people, it feels like the inner critic is me. And this is just how my thoughts sound. I can say to you with total conviction and certainty that the heart of you is not your inner critic. The heart of you has a very different kind of wisdom. The heart of you is the part that wants connection and self-expression and positive impact. And then there's this intruder, the inner critic voice. And the more we're able to just label and say, I'm hearing from the inner critic, the more we're opening up that space of what's the other eye that's hearing the inner critic. I really like to think of the inner critic as just a voice within us. And sometimes I even picture it as part of this tool. When I notice it and name it, I just picture it as like, it operates like a little in a little pea-sized part of my brain. Like it's just one little voice. And there are so many other strands that I can listen to, tune into, trust more. So that's tool number one, simply noticing and naming your inner critic when it comes up. And you may find that in some situations, that's enough to give you distance from it, to unhook from it a little bit, but that's really all you need to keep moving forward, taking action from a different part of you. Sometimes we want to then layer on some additional tools on top of that. So the second tool you can use to quiet your inner critic is to create a character that personifies your inner critic and use that character to remind you that this voice is not you. So go ahead and think about when you hear that critical voice, think of a situation where you hear it and imagine those critical thoughts and then notice, okay, like what's the quality of that voice? Does it have a gendered sound to you in your head? Does it sound more like it comes from a being of a, a certain gender? Does it have an age? You know, does it feel like a stern older professor? Or does it feel like a bratty teenager? And as you start to get those clues, you can build that out into a character that personifies the voice of your inner critic. Sometimes it helps to even think about adjectives. Like if you were to think of the inner critic as having its own personality, what are a few adjectives you would give it? You can think about that now. Maybe it's perfectionistic. Maybe it's worried. Maybe it's persistent. Maybe it's materialistic. Maybe it's compulsive. You could come up with those adjectives and use that to help imagine what this personality personification would be. 
Now, a couple things about that. Sometimes people say, no, 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 it's me. I hear it sounds like the voice of me in my head. Yes, that is what happens when, when our inner critic has been allowed to get a lot of leverage in our minds and sort of take up a lot of space we get all mixed up what's us and what's the inner critic. So it can sound like that, but that's even more reason to then deliberately, even if it doesn't feel like a separate character, create a separate character that has some of the personality qualities of your inner critic. And then for everyone, when you hear that critic voice, you can picture it as coming from your character. So if you have decided, okay, you, it's the, it's the queen bee popular girl from high school or a common one in my workshops, people will think of Miranda Priestly from the devil wears Prada as their inner critic character, or they'll think of sometimes the Downton Abbey characters. It's fine to take someone from literature or film or a made up figure. And then when you hear that critical thought, like you're you're sounding stupid. No one wants to listen to you. Picture the thought coming from that character, picture them saying it and notice how does it feel different as you think of it that way? And people will say, Oh, it sounds ridiculous. It actually makes me laugh. I don't take it as seriously. I see it's just that their agenda, really not mine. And you can even do a little exercise to clarify, and this is a great journaling exercise to do. Like if you imagine that character, what are their priorities in life? What's most important to them? Maybe how they're seen by others, maybe staying safe, not ever getting hurt. And then check what are your actual priorities? Probably a very different list. So those are some ways you can use that character to get further distance and really start teaching your mind that critic is not the core of me. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. A third tool that you can use is to see with compassion your inner critic's motivations and its protective motivations are usually at the core of it. So the way to do that is when you're hearing a self-critical thought, I'll give you two options of how you can do that. So let's say you are maybe needing to give a presentation of some kind and you're hearing the thought, this is going to go horribly. And maybe you're also hearing the thought, you know, you look ridiculous and unprofessional today. So 
one way to get into the critics motivations is then your next question to yourself after you're hearing that thought is going to be, what does my safety instinct not like about this situation? What does my safety instinct not like about this situation? So then you might realize, well, mm, you know, my safety instinct does not like giving presentations. doesn't like being up in front of a group. doesn't like doing things solo. I could make a mistake. Safety instinct doesn't like that. People could react poorly. I could, I don't know, something embarrassing could happen while I'm standing in front of the group. I could have technical problems that stress me out, right? For the safety instinct, this is not fun. And so I can see then, oh, that's my inner critic's motivation. The safety instinct doesn't like all the risks that come with giving presentations. And it's just trying to get me to go back in the comfort zone. And I can see that then with a lot of compassion. I hope you hear already today. My approach is not, we are going to boot out the inner critic with a violent, angry screaming match with it. It is really like, no, this is a legitimate understandable safety instinct root in us that is misleading us and misappraises risk in a lot of ways. But just like we wouldn't boot a scared child out of the room by screaming at it, we can respond to the inner critic with some compassion and care and reassurance. And so once we've checked with the motivations, oh yeah, safety instinct doesn't like presentations. We might just quietly say to ourselves and say to that scared part of ourselves, yeah, this does involve some risks, but we're going to be okay no matter what. And you'll notice in what I'm saying that the way we reassure the safety instinct is not, don't worry, the presentation's going to go great. That's a lie. <laughs> we don't know that for sure. And if you're in your playing big, not everything is going to go great. There's going to be a lot of failures and mistakes. So quote unquote failures and mistakes. So if you try and reassure the scared part of yourself by saying, don't worry, it's going to go great. Don't worry. It's going to be awesome. The scared part of you will know it's being lied to, and it will get more activated. So instead you want to say, yeah, there are some risks with this, but it's worth it. And I've got our back. And no matter how this goes, we're going to be okay. I promise. That's a different kind of message. So compassionately seeing the safety instincts, motivations, and responding with care. The second way you can do that is use your character there. So picture your character that we talked about in the previous tool and bring them to mind and then say, okay, what is that figure scared of in this situation? What's their, what are they trying to protect me from here? And then with a lot of compassion, it's like, oh yeah, you're trying to protect me from that, but I don't need protection in that. Or you're not actually protecting me. You, you, we're going to be okay. I'm going forward here. Okay. And then the fourth practical tool we can use, and this is really my favorite is to choose a value of yours, a personal value of yours that you can have guide you in the situation instead of the inner critic being in charge. And this is where, you know how we were talking about the answer really isn't about confidence because if I'm, let's say, worried that the presentation is going to go poorly and I'm trying to convince myself I'm awesome, it's going to go great, that's not going to actually be a reliable source of comfort or reassurance for me, right? But if I'm trying to reassure myself about that, the other thing is it's still all about me. It's like, well, am I great or am I horrible? Am I great or am I horrible? And that's a very kind of narrow egoic frame 
to be approaching situations with and all egoic frames that are about the self. It's very unstable for us, right? We want to tap into something bigger and more compelling to us than our own performance to help us move beyond that inner critic confinement. And so if I am thinking I'm not going to do well in this presentation, and now I say, but what values of mine do I want to put in the lead here? Like what personal values of mine are at stake? I might think about that like, oh, well, in this presentation, I guess courage. I want to put courage in the lead or service because I actually feel like this, this presentation could really make a positive difference for the people who are listening. Or maybe I'm putting creativity in the lead because I really let my creativity shape this presentation and, and giving it is a way of honoring my creativity. And now I'm letting those principles guide me. And in your situation, you can think about a situation where your inner critic is speaking up. Think about now, like what values of yours are at stake in the situation? What values of yours would you like to have lead you? And if you put those in the lead, if your values were what were guiding your actions, now imagine what would you be doing? And I'm like, oh, well, if service was leading me in the presentation, I would really be thinking about my audience. And I'm actually realizing maybe I'd want to change the second half of the slides because now that I'm thinking about service, I realize like there's some things to cover that would really make a difference for them that I haven't covered. And I'd make sure we leave plenty of time for questions or whatever it might be, right? You're going to start to imagine what behaving from those values would look like. And our values in this beautiful way can pull us up and out of the narrowness of the inner critic. And so that's the fourth tool you can draw upon anytime the critic is speaking up. So things to remember, it's not about confidence. You don't want to argue with your inner critic or think it's voice means you're on the wrong track. You don't want to fall into that trap of assuming it's an ally for you. And when the inner critic voice comes up, as it will, if you are stretching into your playing bigger, you can use those tools, noticing it and naming it for what it is, using the character to help it have more levity or get more perspective on it checking in with what the critic's motivations are and compassionately seeing the ways it's trying, but wrongly trying to protect you and then choosing a value to lead you instead. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more, I hope you'll stay in touch at taramore.com or check out the book, Playing Big, Practical Wisdom for Women Who Want to Speak Up, Create and Lead. Thanks for listening. and. May you move forward with boldness and full self-expression in your playing big. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.